I love your pastor. You guys are really blessed to have two pastors and an entire staff of men that fear God and love well. So you guys are blessed. Can you all hear me? I don't know. Things. Yeah, Rob called me I don't know, last week and said, hey, you're going to preach. It's like, oh, you're giving me so much advance notice. This is great. I'm not a preacher, full disclosure. Um, in fact, last time I spoke, I spoke here, I think. Um, or maybe my home church, I don't remember. But I was at a little event called Turning Point USA Faith about a week ago. I flew in. We were, I was part of, I was blessed to be part of a movie called Into the Light. Um, a guy that's actually from this area, Mike Smith, moved to Nashville. Um, got radically saved in Hollywood, did a movie out of shadows. And then God led him to do a movie called Into the Light. So he called up me, General Flynn, a few other people in our community, Laura Logan, and started interviewing us for about two and a half years. And then put this movie together. So we brought this movie to the Turning Point Faith Conference, and then we did a question and answer afterwards. Now, you got to understand the context for what I'm going to give you in the content. So I guess the best way to understand is to say content. Say content. Context. Because if you take the content out of the context, you get it in the wrong context. You're going to get misunderstanding. So when I talk to you today, just keep remembering, okay, this is in this context that I'm hearing this. So in this context... Me speaking to a group of pastors with my background, which is really bad, um, I thought, if God's going to smoke me, it's going to be now. Um, and I, to give you some context, Pastor Rob asked me to do this. I've spoken here many times. I've never done it, but he asked me to, so I will this time because it's in the movie, and it's already out there. So if you put up that first slide, I'm a doctor. And I spent a lot of time working in really the most beautiful countries in the world, Afghanistan, Pakistan, um, Somalia, Sudan, South America, real garden spots. And this is in Afghanistan. And my purpose there, officially, my cover, what we call cover for status or cover for action, depending on what you're doing, is I'm a doctor. I'm an actual doctor. But while I was there, I got to... My job was to do other things. Next slide. Here's a member of my team. We're going to make an exchange with a certain person that we didn't like who had recovered something that we needed. And you can see these little bulges down in our pockets. Those are little grenades in case the exchange doesn't go right. Um, next slide. Yeah, that things didn't go right. Um, you could turn that off. I show you that to give you some context about who I was and who I am. I worked for so many alphabets in the soup, I had no idea of my true identity. And I had no excuse because I was raised by amazing parents that did everything right and followed the word of God. I, on the other hand, was a legend in my own mind and decided to follow me. For 45 years, my mom stayed on her knees. Moms never stopped praying. God hears them. And when I got blown up, literally, 
um, God showed me who he was, and then I made a decision because he, he spoke to me. You see, when Jesus left, he said, I give to you, as Eric, the worship leader, said, the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, we'll talk to you. Open your heart. Because my prayer right now, in Jesus' name, that the Holy Spirit comes into this room, creates an atmosphere where it's going to speak to you today. In a need that you have, in a way that you don't see coming, so that you know it's to him and him alone to give the glory. That's what happened to me. He told me who I work for. It wrecked me. To this day, I can't hardly talk about it without cracking up. I'm not a crier. Um, but it's true, because I was really bad. And he showed me a lot of things. And from that time on, I realized who God was, who Jesus is, and more importantly, who I'm not. And I found my identity. And I found the Holy Spirit, which is really fun. As my son says, better than a video game, Dad. I mean, you know, it's all the cheat codes at once. And so when I was at this conference, now you know the context. I'm at this conference thinking I'm talking to like actual people that know the Bible. That studied it their whole lives. And I got questions like, why is our country falling apart? One guy asked, why can't people see what's happening? Another pastor asked, what can we do? This is just so overwhelming. Do you think God's coming back? It's good questions. I mean, they're asking a non-biblical scholar these questions, but hey, you know, they went to seminary. Um... And I looked at him, and I prayed about this before I went, because I don't step into anything without really giving it all to the Lord. If I'm going to give you my opinion, it will always steer you wrong. If I give you what God placed on my heart, maybe it touches something in you. So I looked at him, and I said, well, arrogance. And they're all like, yes. And I go, in the church. And they... <laughs> right then I thought, maybe the shortest question and answer in the history of Turning Point USA Faith. And I said, but let me give you some context for the content I just gave you. In the late 1990s, we were very prosperous. And there was a massive push in the church to get people into the church, to grow the church. I believe we birthed something they call like a mega church. And I'm not beating on mega churches. Okay, if God gives you the grace, you got the place. But we grew the church. We said, we got to get people into the church. We got to build these big buildings like fortresses to keep Satan out, but to bring God's people in. And so before I went to this meeting, God was kind of leading me down this path. And I'm reading the Bible and it doesn't seem like that was the church. God didn't design the church to keep Satan out. He designed the church to equip us to charge hell with the word of God. To charge the gates of hell to be his hands and feet. To be his body. Not lock ourselves in a building. Skinny jeans, smoke machines, whatever. <laughs> and he didn't do that. So I'm talking to these pastors. And I believe these guys there are pretty good pastors because they want to be there. You don't go to Turning Point Faith, which is one of your pastor's brainchild that one of his giftings, and they, you know, they want truth, so I thought, <laughs> I don't have that gene that worries about offending people. Please forgive me. And so I said, you guys are arrogant, the church. Maybe not you, but the church, because 
that you showed no humility. And then I could see the, kind of they're looking at each other, looking at their wives, their wives are like. <laughs> but I don't think that's why they were doing that. But, you know, I don't know. And um, I said, let me give you the definition of humility because I studied this. I was praying one day. See, I, God gave us the Holy Spirit. I'm going to suck it up as much as I can. And I was like, God, what's humility? And the Lord led me to the scripture where Jesus kicked the money changers out of the temple. Where he put, which, which I can, God will take you and give you something you can identify with. I can personally identify with making a weapon and beating the crap out of people. I, maybe in my past, I identify with that. So he's like, when I stepped into the temple and beat those people out of my father's house, was I humble? And of course me, I'm not saying anything because I'm freaking out that I'm hearing this in my heart. I mean, it's not a voice, but it's in my heart. And I'm not thinking about it. And I'm thinking, he says, I was. I stepped into the authority I was given to me by the Father. That's humility. Because if you're truly humble, it takes something called courage. And as I've said before, in the absence of courage, truth's an orphan. So today in 2023, after the biggest movement inside the church, our nation's crumbling outside the church. Because we've been so arrogant and not humble and stepped into our authority that God has given us. I'm a little old. I'm about Pastor Rob's age. We're not old. We're just maturing. Um, and I remember the 1980s. My boss did a lot of stuff back in the day. He's a pretty cool guy. And one of those projects might have coincided with a gentleman by the name of Charlie Wilson. You might have seen Charlie Wilson's War. And Charlie Wilson, the actual Charlie Wilson, was truly petrified of the evangelical vote. In fact, all the politicians in 1980 were petrified of the church because they had principles given to them by God and they were not for sale. So we didn't have as many churches back then and we didn't have a lot of mega churches back then. Now we have mega churches and we got mega sin. Let me pop your bubble right now. We don't have global warming. We don't have global climate change. When our, when our leaders come out and say, these disasters are happening because of global climate change. These disasters are happening because you're eating beef. These, no, we have global sinning. That's why we're having these problems. And so I wanted to understand this. And so when I told them that, I said, you know, at the same time, when you were growing into your building, Satan, the demonic, the progressive Marxists, their ideology, or what I call their idolology, were growing into schools, school boards, municipalities, government positions at local, state, national levels. They were taking authority they were taking dominion. And so I'm thinking about this. God's putting all this in my heart, and I'm weird. My wife can attest to this. I told one of my mentors one time, I said, I know I'm kind of weird. He goes, no, you're wholly weird now. It's totally different. <laughs> it's good to be wholly weird. It's not good to be world weird. And so I, I was asking God, well, they, they moved in. Why? He goes, because I put it in their heart. And then I'm thinking, well, and, give me the answer, and he takes me, he says, no, I gave you the answer. 
Ask me how to find it. Ask me the pattern. Ask me the plan. So I went to the Bible in Genesis, and it says, God created man, male and female, in his image, and told them to take dominion over the earth. It was placed inside of you to want dominion, to have ambition. There's only one catch. You're going to want dominion, and you're going to have ambition. It's either going to be under the world and lead to perversion, or it's under the glory of God and lead to his kingdom. So while the church was building church kingdom, man was building man's kingdom, and they beat us to the punch. And so what I told those pastors are, you abdicated your authority. It says, don't forsake yourself in the ecclesia, the public place. You guys did. And the church, what I think, it really lost its salt or its understanding of its design. The Bible said you became dull of hearing. Not hearing us, hearing God. Hearing the Holy Spirit. I mean, Jesus said it, I leave, but I give something better in my place. Now repeat this. I don't need all that. One more time. I don't need all that. That's what the church said. We have Jesus in our heart. I love Jesus. But when you have the Holy Spirit, you fear God. You fear God, you fear nothing else. You don't fear God, you fear everything else. In fact, it was that fear, that lack of recognition or discernment that the Holy Spirit gives that led the church to fall a long way in what actually brought me to your church during COVID. Fear. Now, if you watch the movie Into the Light, you'll understand we, the whole movie is about shaping populations, psychological operations, what we call fifth generation warfare. This fifth generation warfare is a battle for the mind, for the psychoanalytics. But the battle's being taken place in the supernatural. And it's being played out in the natural. And when you had this battle, it's very, we know this in intelligence. If I can change your patterns for 40 days, I can 100% change what you do because I'll give you a new pattern. Introduce it to you. You saw it. Mask everywhere. We've never done that in the history of medicine. I mean, let me just pop your bubble here. I was driving. We got here the other day. We drove from the airport to here. We passed by this guy in a convertible by himself with a mask. <laughs> let me give you some context for that content. It's like walking in the woods with a seatbelt on. <laughs> Makes no sense in the natural, but... In his mind, he had been reprogrammed in his pattern, it's in behavior. So when the country shut down, they took their eyes off of God. Churches shut down. We, I did not get the lockdown passage. It's not in here. And when it says, and I don't 
I'm not a theologian. When it says, honor God, respect government, you don't respect government if they go against God's laws, patterns, and principles. You don't. And so in the natural, we allowed the government to reshape our patterns. The government that had been taken over because of the church's abdication in authority in the public place. Now, I understand patterns. I understand it from my training. Anyone that's ever been in special operations or done things where you have to carry guns because you don't want to be dead, and first rule overseas is don't get dead, um, they teach you to do things we call tactical reloads or you get muscle memory. You've seen John Wick movies or you've seen movies, whether you got Delta or SEALs. Well, SEALs are in all movies because that's what they're made for. But just joking to my <laughs> Navy brothers. Um, but they teach you tactical reloads. That's where you're shooting. You, you, you have, you're done. You're, you hit Winchester. You drop your mag and you reload immediately. Well, Winchester ain't got nothing else. But you reload and, it, and it's real seamless. Keanu Reeves is really good at it, right? He's boom, 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 shoots a guy, drops it, you know, reload. It's called the tactical reload. We train so much, we do this course called the Rogers course. And the targets are small, and they come up. And by the end of the course, the targets come up so fast that you're literally hitting the target before you register it in your mind. Because you've been trained in pattern recognition. It's the way God designs you. To him be the glory. But if you don't put pattern recognition under the glory of God, you get the perversion of man. And I'm going to tell you right now, if you want to understand a rule that will never change, Satan counterfeits everything God creates. Everything. And like I said, I work for a lot of three-letter agencies, and when we were doing one joint operation... I was trying to figure out why they were trying to blow up a certain vice president under George Bush. And I got to work with Secret Service. And I'm working with Secret Service, and, it's, and we're going over stuff. And I asked the guy, off subject, how do you tell what a, because they do treasury back then, how do you tell a counterfeit $100 bill? And we're cleaning guns while he's talking. Oh, it's easy. I go, how? He goes, I'm thinking like this big exotic explanation. I'm going to have like the key to understanding he said, you compare it to the original. When the church was captured by the culture, when the church decided to stay in and follow God's principles, not God's person, when they started calling sin or stopped calling sin by its name and a person, Satan slipped in the counterfeit. And so when COVID hit, we had nothing to compare to the original. Why do you think kids are being affirmed pervertedly. Babies are killed in the womb. Because we don't compare it to the original. So today, I'm going to give you what God gave me these past few days because I think it's really cool. It's not coming from me, so it's actually worth hearing. I was asking God about this, and I was thinking about all these things, and God was basically saying they were not trained in my word, in my pattern. And he took me to my favorite verse. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And when I looked up, because I'm weird, holy weird now. I looked up righteousness. I wanted to understand it in the Greek. 
I wanted to understand. It's moral righteousness. God's moral righteousness. Before the age of 45, not morally righteous. Bad. The blood of Jesus removed that. I now have Jesus' moral righteousness. How do I do it? I cite his kingdom first and his moral righteousness. And then the dessert and all these things will be added unto you. But God says, my Bible is truth and light and pattern. Patterns are designed to teach you what to do, but it's also designed to teach you what not to do. So take it in the reverse or the negative. If you don't seek first, and apply this to the 1990s, the kingdom of God and his moral righteousness, not his relative truth. The church went from sin is sin to I don't want to offend. I just want to be winsome, good, nice. The word nice is satanic. God doesn't call you to be good. He doesn't call you to be nice. But he does talk about that. He calls it the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He calls us not to be winsome, to be light. He calls us to be sons and daughters of the living God and do the will of the Father. And from that flow, rivers of living water and all the other good stuff comes. The kingdom, the blessings. But when we don't do that, Satan will fill that void. He got the church seeking to be winsome. While the progressive Marxists were winning all of them. And then we wake up in 2023 and wonder, why are we acting this way? And it lands on our shoulders. Not theirs. Evil's doing what it's supposed to do. Because that's their kingdom, the kingdom of man. But ours is the kingdom of God. It's unshakable, it's unchangeable, and it's eternal. And it's here. So I wanted to know how to get there. And he said to me, they stopped using the Father's design of the Christian life, which is... Christ hidden in me, the hope of glory. I can't speak up here. <laughs> I, I'm bad. If you guys knew half my stories, you would walk out. But Christ in me, he's cool. And I have a faith different from the church. I think the church has faith in faith, faith in principles. And I'm not talking about you, your remnant church, but the body, some of these pastors. I have faith that Jesus, I have the faith of Jesus Christ in me. That's faith of, I have a relationship with the Father. I know I got to do his will. So when I was looking at this, and I knew the world wanted to pervert my design, and God gave me a word. He said, they want to stereotype you. That's a man-made, pre-designed that you should step into. But God has given me a purpose, a desire, that was created before I was born. And I wanted to understand that. And to do that, he took me to an interesting verse. And I'm a little different here. We're not doing the same as last time. Go to 2 Timothy 1.9. And I'm going to come back to it, but I want you to hear this. For he delivered us and saved us and called us with a holy calling that leads us to a consecrated life set apart, not because of our works or any merit, 
but because of his own purpose and grace, which was granted to us in Christ Jesus before the world began. So he has a purpose for us. So then I was like, God, okay, I hear all this. I got to speak. What do I do? He said, just tell my people, go to Jerusalem. It's like, thanks. That answered none of my questions. He said, look up Jerusalem. So I did. See if this makes sense. When I talked to those pastors, I wrote down three things. They were looking for completeness, fulfillment, wholeness, not divided as a nation, and peace without chaos, which is the truth. And I looked up Jerusalem. Jerusalem, the core word of that word, shalom, means completeness or wholeness. The word shalom is peace. And any peace depends on completeness and wholeness. And Jerusalem had to be a place of completeness and wholeness because it is the dwelling place of God and his glory. God said again, go to Jerusalem. So if you're looking for completeness like those pastors were, if you're looking for wholeness not divided as a nation, if you're looking for peace not chaos, you have the dominion ambition. He gave me the name, kingdom ambition. We have kingdom ambition, and it always wins. So I went to the Bible. Those of you under the age of 40, this is called the book. <laughs> These are words on paper. You don't swipe. You'll rip the pages. You can't hyperlink them. You have to turn them. It's the written word of God. You can read it on the Internet. It's cool, too. But now we have AI changing the Bible on the Internet. And by the way, AI is the counterfeit for what? The Holy Spirit. Let's not seek God for creativeness and fulfillment. Let's go to AI. Man's idea. So there's an interesting verse I ran into, Zechariah 8.3. It says, thus says the Lord. Anytime I hear thus says the Lord, that's God's talking. I'm all ears. I got the attention span of a gnat. But when I hear God talk, I'm paying attention. I have returned to Zion and will dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. And Jerusalem shall be called the city of truth and the mountain of the Lord, host of the holy mountain. See, Jerusalem is a place. It is your purpose. And the Bible tells it. So how do we get to Jerusalem? How do I get to that place that God tells me I'm going to find wholeness, completeness, peace, truth, not chaos? Not division. How do I get there? Now, this is the part where you're going to think I'm a little too weird. Hillary Clinton was partially right. Context coming. <laughs> she said we're deplorable. Let me go back to 2 Timothy 1.9 again. And let me give the definition first. Deplorable means deserving condemnation. 2 Timothy 1.9, for he delivered us and saved us from what? Condemnation. We're all deplorable. Where we start. But it's not how we get to Jerusalem. Christ delivered us from that. He delivered us from the condemnation with a holy calling. What does holy calling mean? It's your purpose. A calling that leads to a consecrated life. If I can get a consecrated life through Christ in me, trust me, any of you guys can. You can't outrun the grace of God. It's not possible. And I'm not talking about just forgiveness of sins. I'm talking about memory erase 
replace, making the exchange, not me, as Paul says, but Christ in me, the hope of glory. And it is not because of our works. You can't earn it, all you Catholics. Not wrong, just incomplete. You can't earn it. It's a gift. And because of his own purpose and grace, that's undeserved favor. I give you favor. You can't deserve it. Which was granted to us in Christ Jesus. And this is the key phrase. Before the world began. A lot of you, I ask God every service, Lord, show me what I need to say. Some of you out there right now are thinking, why am I here at this time? I'm frustrated. Nothing seems to make sense. Why me? The good news is God created you for this time. He designed you to live now. He didn't make that mistake. And he's given you the tools, the kingdom ambition, the dream to fulfill his purpose in you. Here's the catch. He's given you a dream, an ambition, a purpose so big, the only way you can fulfill it is in partnership with him. God did not, everything God does on earth, he has to do it with us. That's why we're here. Two people, one body. He's designed us to be his hands and feet, his eyes and ears, his voice. He gave me an ambition in the natural, made no sense. And I didn't even understand him. Why would I, I mean, I'm a plastic surgeon. What am I going to do being some kind of spy operator? I mean, that, I've always wanted to be that since I was a kid. I read books. Why did I have that in me? I, did, I tried to beat it out of me. I, I mean, I learned how to hurt people half my life. So I thought, I'll be a doctor. I'll learn how to help people. Because I studied every martial art under the sun. I hunted. I trapped. I shot guns. I just did everything in the natural that I thought I needed. So then I thought, I'll go to med school. I'll outrun God's call in my life. God's laughing at me the whole time. I get recruited into the agency and put right back where I thought I should be. And I kept asking God, why, and when I got saved, I asked God, why did you do this? Because I created you that way. A year and a half ago, I wondered, God gave me the word legacy. Didn't mean anything two years ago at the time. Six months later, a good buddy of mine from the agency comes to visit, retired. He goes, oh yeah, I got to tell you, your grandfather was one of the original members of the OSS. God's legacy. You never know what God has for you. If he'll give you a dream in the natural that won't make sense, but in the supernatural, pff, ridiculously simple. So he made us. So Hillary was partially right, but really incomplete. And I pray that she gets saved. I'm not going to hold my breath, but, um, but God did save us for something. He saved us from something, sin, he saved us for something, purpose. That purpose can be summed up in one word, Jerusalem, your purpose. But he also saved us not only from something and for something, he saved us, and this is the thing where Christians don't go all the way, something to do. You have to go to Jerusalem, it doesn't come to you. He wants you to work out your sanctification to fulfill the purpose in your life. So once you get saved, then you start working it out, which means repentance. Again, weird. I had to look up the word repentance. 
In Hebrew, it's a picture, and it's a picture of burning the house I used to live in. Not just going in the back door, not revisiting occasionally, it's burning it to the ground. That's repentance. And then you make restitution. You get repentance before God because that's who you sin against in the vertical. And you make restitution in the horizontal. You go to those people and say, I had to go to my wife and say, sorry, I sinned against you. Please forgive me. Actually, I sinned against God, but I hurt you. And we weren't dating at the time, and she thought I was weird, but she knew I was right because I was an idiot. But so when we had that, I was like, okay, well, God, again, I hear Jerusalem, this. He goes, I have a plan. I said, tell me your plan. He goes, wrong question. I've given you the pattern. Tell me how to use it. Tell me where you find it. It's in the word of God. Let's go to 2 Samuel 6. My favorite person in the Bible, and this goes quick, one of them I have a lot, is David. I identify a lot with David. He was a warrior. He loved to worship. I love to worship. I can't sing. Not my gift. It would take major grace to ever get a sound out of me. But worship is so key to warfare in the spiritual. And so I went to David. And see if this sounds familiar, okay? David has just, in 2 Samuel 5, he just finished mopping up the Philistines. And he is king. Let me use a better word. Everything David did was huge. It was the best. He was awesome. Sound familiar? And David believed in God like a certain president we had. And David decided, I'm going to move the covenant, God's presence, the Ark of the Covenant, I'm going to bring that God to Jerusalem. The purpose. Because it hadn't been there. Here's the problem, and it might have some parallels to today. I don't know. David was the king. He's super proud in his heart. And he's excited. And in his mind, everything is huge. Everything is good, and I'm doing the right thing. I'm moving it to Jerusalem. So he's excited, and it says, in verse 1, it says, And David gathered together the chosen men of Israel, 30,000. Now, number one, whenever you're going to make a move of God, God always calls us his chosen. So David started out right, like a certain president I know. And then David arose and went off with those who were with him to, okay, this is one of those cities in the Bible that I can't name, so I... I name them cities in the Bible I can't name. And to bring up from there to Jerusalem the ark of God, which is called by the name, the very name of the Lord of hosts who dwells above the enthroned cherubim. This is the presence of God, the glory of God. And David has the right idea. He's king. He knows to have his power. He needs to get the presence of God to the city of God, where God's the purpose of God. And so David puts it on a cart with wheels. He uses the most modern technology to move God's presence as quick as he can in the natural. But he ignores the Mosaic law and the pattern God gave him that you move the ark, not on the wheels with animals, but on the shoulders of sons. My presence doesn't move by the animal nature. 
It moves by my people. But David, in his mind, was being good. He was just trying to hurry that process. Or I could say, yeah, he might be trying to build a church bigger to get more people. It's a good idea, right? But is it the pattern of God? And so he does that. And then he goes off and he starts praising God and worshiping all oh, the cymbals, the harps. David's like super worship guy. And he's dancing around in his kingly robes. And we're bringing the ark and I'm honoring God. And then I picture it like this. David's doing all that. And then you have a George Bush 9-11 moment. One of his aides goes, boss. David's like, shh, I'm worshiping God. We're praising God. We're bringing the ark. He goes, boss. He goes, what? He goes, Uzziah. The ark moved. Uzziah touched it. He's dead. And David looked at that and he heard that the ark was being overturned and Uzziah tried to stabilize it in because it was being moved not the way God told him to. And God struck him dead. And then it says, so David was afraid of the Lord that day and said, how can the ark come to me? Let me rephrase. How can I get God's glory to me? How do I get it to Jerusalem and my purpose? And he got offended. Well, you need to understand, he's king. He's at the highest level. He's had all the victories, and he knows God gave them to him. But he got outside his design that God gave him. You will not receive the full glory of God in the design of man. So David got a little soul damage. You guys know what soul damage is? Everybody say soul damage. See, your soul is where you go, I think, I want, I feel. And David got offended. Let me give you some context on offense in your soul. What offends you reveals you. What offends you reveals you. And so David, to his credit, decided to step back and think, what did I do wrong? It took him about 90 days. But during that 90-day period, the grace of God, the glory of God, the presence of God rested in the house of a gentleman by the name of Obed, the Gittite. And Obed was not a Jew. He had the glory of God, the presence of God with a non-Jew and blessed his family massively. In fact, so blessed that Obed, if you look later, became a general in David's army and a worship leader. The two most powerful warrior positions under the grace of God. When you house the glory of God with you, you carry the glory of God your entire life. The Bible shows us in this. And it says that. But then David looked at that pattern and it brought to his memory. God has blessed Obed's house. He recognized it and all that belonged to him. And he said it wasn't because Obed was obedient. It was because of the glory and the presence of God, the ark of God. So then David went to the house of Obed and he started rejoicing with gladness. And then he said, let's do it the right way this time. They put poles where they were supposed to. They put it on the shoulders of the sons, the Levites. And they went six paces. And David said, stop. 
Six paces is the number of man. Every six paces, he sacrificed an animal. Back then, if you wanted to go into God's presence, you had to sacrifice the animal nature. When Christ came to Jerusalem, he did that sacrifice once and for all. But to get to Jerusalem in David's time, he sacrificed the animal nature. And so he did that every six, every six paces. And he brought the ark up with shouts of joy. This time was different, though. When they came into Jerusalem, David is king. Great resume. Goliath killer. Wiped out all of Israel's enemies. God has blessed him greatly. He's bringing the presence of God in. But this time, he recognizes who God is. And like me, more importantly, who I'm not. He takes off his kingly robes. Now, this doesn't get R-rated. He's wearing what they call an ephod. It's like an undergarment. I looked it up. The ephod is what you wear in the natural. With all the, everything stripped away. And he danced before the Lord and worshiped him in the natural. And it says, they brought the ark of the Lord and placed it inside the tent which David had pitched for it. And they had burnt offerings and they put it in a spot that was the threshing floor where they separate the wheat from the chaff. The presence of God does that. But the interesting thing was, while all the people in the city were being blessed watching David worship God in the natural, his wife, Mike, Michael, who's supposed to be really good looking according to the Bible, she didn't like it. She said, David, you're not being dignified. Now we start out deplorable, and now David's gone from deplorable to undignified before man. But David said, I will be based on sight. He showed true humility because he recognized the authority of God. He danced in his authority before God. He lost his image in the natural that day, but he gained his position in the kingdom that day. He went... From influencer, I'm King David, I'm, check out my Instagram page, to rivers of living water that go for eternity. How do we know this? Well, I, God kind of gave me this, I had to kind of work it out. He says if you're controlled by perception, it always leads to deception. Misunderstanding. But David understood who God was. And so he knew his either was either, image was either in God or man. And you can take that to today because your image is either in God or now, I don't know, 1,000 flavors they give you of gender. I mean, you're, you're bat boy, wolf kid, you know, all these different genders. Uh, let me just, spoiler alert, gender is a construct written in a paper in the 1960s for the first time. It's not real. It's made up by the science. Not the truth. So anyway, David showed true humility because he accepted what God created him for. He stepped into his authority. And how do you know that? Because in chapter 7, what does God give him? The Davidic covenant. So now David's a changed person. His image is in God, not himself. And he goes to God. God, I'm doing it right. I'm in the pattern. I'm in the design. I'm not out of my mind. 
I'm going to build you a house. And God says, no, David. I'm going to build you a house. And I thought that was really great at first, but then I had to think, wait a second. David's the king. It's natural that the king wants to build the tabernacle that houses God because he can get that glory of building the tabernacle in the natural while he's alive. But God said, no, David. I'm going to build my house on you. I'm going to plant seeds. Trees are going to grow to give shade for people you'll never know. That is my covenant with you. And David, having gotten out of offense and grown, had the correct spiritual response and worshiped and praised God even harder that he was going to be in prosperity for the kingdom of God, not in the present. That's where God got him. So David made it to Jerusalem to fulfill his purpose And when he fulfilled his purpose, God gave him the Davidic covenant. This is where it gets really cool. When David had the proper response and he praised God and knew that it was future blessings in God's sovereignty and accepted his purpose, God gave him the Davidic covenant. Another person went to Jerusalem to fulfill his purpose for God the Father. In Luke 18.31, then he took the twelve aside and said to them, this is Jesus, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and all things which are written through the prophets and the Son of Man will be accomplished. Now here's the really cool thing. Repeat this. The Old Testament is the New Testament concealed. The New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. David was faithful in going to Jerusalem. He stumbled, but he did it correctly. Pattern, design. And now God's there. And in Ephesians 4.13, it says, till we all come to measure the stature of the fullness in Christ. What Paul was saying there is Christ's journey, the fullness inside of us, happened because God took his trip to Jerusalem And the idea of what we should be as believers going to Jerusalem is not what we hear the Christian life should be. Because the goal of a Christ follower to get to Jerusalem is to do the Father's will. Jesus did the Father's will. And it doesn't matter whether you think you're useful or not. It doesn't matter whether you're winsome. It doesn't even matter whether you win or lose in your mind. If you're doing his will and you're having obedience, you're going to reach the goal, the purpose God put in you. And you're not going to be powered by the idea of faith and faith, but the faith of Jesus in you. Because inside of every one of you guys right now is a full-grown Jesus going to Jerusalem. So in our Lord's life, in the end, he said, Jerusalem is the place where he reached the culmination of his Father's will upon the cross. And unless we go there with Jesus, we go to Jerusalem with him. We don't have any friendship with him. We don't have any fellowship with him. Because when I read the life of Jesus, nothing diverted him from getting to Jerusalem. Nothing slowed him down or sped him up. He didn't stay too long in cities 
that were really great to him. Jesus, you're the best. We bless you. He didn't say, I'm going to hang with my peeps longer because this is kind of fun and food's good. And he didn't hurry through cities that were terrible to him. He did the will of the Father, whether it was wait, move. He just did it by God's will. Because gratitude or ingratitude did not stop our Savior from fulfilling the word of the Father and going to Jerusalem. He did this so that we could have understanding. He did this to conquer sin. David's obedience and his purpose got to Jerusalem. Christ's obedience, his person freed us from the bonds of sin. And now he says, go to Jerusalem. It's tough right now because there's a lot of seeds of failure being planted in your lives. And you know what that seed's name is? Misunderstanding. That's the seed of failure in a relationship, in a government, in a church. You know that misunderstanding can't operate, or wisdom cannot operate in misunderstanding. That's why Satan's counterfeiting everything. He wants to keep misunderstanding in the atmosphere. But the Holy Spirit, God says, go to Jerusalem. I'm going to give you purpose. I'm going to give you understanding. And from you, in this room, will flow rivers of living water. But the church became arrogant. They didn't recognize their authority. And they couldn't be humble and step into their authority. But you can, because God uses a remnant. So go to Jerusalem. I mean, in Jerusalem, they crucified our Savior. And when you go to your Jerusalem, you're going to give up something. But Christians, we don't end in crucifixion. By God's grace, we end in glory. Because the Bible says we go from glory to glory to glory. So Jerusalem's your purpose. How do we get there? Be deplorable. Get saved. Be undignified. Get sanctified. Then glorify the Father. That's how you're going to change this nation. Can you imagine if a certain person that says everything is huge would in metaphorically, please only, put on his ephod? Go to Jerusalem and step into his purpose, his authority with humility? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for the atmosphere. Thank you for the Holy Spirit. I just pray it floods this place, Lord. I pray that every person in here goes to Jerusalem with you. They go to their purpose for completeness, for wholeness, for peace. They step into their authority. And through your grace, through your mercy, restore this covenant nation. So it will be a light for all the world to see. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen.